Welcome to TNS, the new school at Commonweal, a collaborative learning project exploring nature, culture, and consciousness. Join us now for part two of a two-part conversation with Rachel Lang and host Michael Lerner. Rachel Lang, welcome back to the new school. Thanks so much for having me back, Michael. Rachel, you know, you and I have become friends. And when we were talking after we did the spiritual biography conversation so far, we both realized that there were important things that hadn't really come up. And uh, so we made a sort of a little list of those, and I, I wanted to explore them with you. Great. Yeah. So the, the first part, I've talked about how deeply I appreciate astrology as an archetypal system. Mm-hmm. And there's one way of holding astrology, which any thoughtful human being should be completely comfortable with, which is these are archetypal images which evoke powerful uh, stories which feel comfortable to us and their exactness seems to fit us. And therefore, it doesn't really have anything to do with the birth date or the stars. It's simply the power of the archetypal stories. So, but then there's another school of thought, which you are very familiar with, that in fact, astrology really works in terms of influencing who people are based on where they're born and what happens in their lives based on where the stars are. And is it fair to say that you're definitely in that second group? I think I bridge the bridge both of them. But I think I think that that the reason why astrology works in the way that it does and can show us the, the trends that we're going through or certain events that are are happening in our lives or, or help us to gain a, a better uh, level of self-understanding is because of the mythological nature of human beings of, 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 of us. Um, and so if these ideas and archetypes, and I would even say electromagnetic frequencies have been in our collective unconscious for thousands and thousands of years and cycles repeat themselves over and over and over again, when a cycle repeats itself, we can see similar themes as we did the last time the cycle was in play. So I kind of adopt the idea that there is that, you know, one of my uh, my my naturopathic doctor, um, who's also a friend of mine, uh, told me that that one of the strange things about homeopathy is that the smaller the dose, the smaller, the smaller the organism of the the element within the homeopathic remedy, the smaller the element the the more of an effect it has. So there are some mysteries that I think we can only explain through looking at fields like quantum mechanics and um, and 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 things like that. Um, and I think astrology works in a similar way um, that there are actually electromagnetic frequencies that are that our bodies are attuned to because we're made of the same substances as the planets and the stars. And then there's also these mythological stories that we're a part of. So it's, um, I think there's like an artistry to it and a science to it both. 
Beautiful. And uh, speaking of homeopathy, which I have, you know, substantial acquaintance with, the really powerful remedies go down below Avocado's number, which is the number at which there's not a single molecule left Mm -hmm. of the original substance. So it goes down into a vibratory field that where the where the original molecule is no longer there. Yeah. Yeah. You you said it much better than I did. <laughs> but yes, that's exactly what 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 um what I was what I was thinking. The frequencies. Are you speaking of the frequencies that emanate from the different planets, or are you speaking of the frequencies associated with the different uh, archetypal stories or both? I think it's both. Um, and obviously there's a lot that we don't quite, that we haven't put our, our finger on in terms of, of, of understanding it and putting all of the pieces together. I think we have little, little snapshots of the puzzle, but not the whole, but not all the pieces. Um, but, you know, but I think that we, I don't think that we can deny that there are, there are energies and frequencies that are in circling around us and that we're all a part of that are, that are invisible, that invisible realm. Um, and, uh, and so I think that the planetary energies fall within that. Um, and then obviously they're connected to, to stories and we've assigned these stories to these planets and from our, you know, from ancient times. So I think it's all, I think it's all a part of, of one of the grand mysteries of, of magic, of, um, her, you know, some of those old hermetic uh, texts, like um, the, that concept of as above, so below, as within, so without, as the universe, so the soul. We are infinitely connected to everything in our, in our in created reality in ways that are beyond our comprehension. I completely agree with that. I mean, speaking of, you know, electromagnetic fields, we know that we've altered them profoundly for the earth and for ourselves with all our wired EMF uh, things. Uh, There's actually good science, which is being suppressed uh, to some degree about the negative health effects of uh, exposure to some of these fields. And there's also very good science about the positive health effects of some of these fields. So the question of the reality of electromagnetic fields and how they affect our health, both for good and for harm, is very real. And so, and clearly nature is filled with uh, electromagnetic fields. And although one, one question that comes up about that is whether the EMF spectrum is the only energetic spectrum on which these things operate, or whether there are spectra that we haven't discovered yet, uh, which are actually responsible. I mean, because the scientists tell us, I forget what it is that we don't, we can't see and don't understand 90 or 95% of the universe. Like, you know, it's like a black hole, basically. So we have to have immense humility about the 90% of the universe that we don't understand. And and therefore, there may be frequencies, to come back to your point, at which these things are operating that actually aren't on the EMF spectrum, but maybe on some other spectrum. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I think, um, I think it was Nikola Tesla who said that we will, that, that in the future, we will see the world in terms of energy and frequency. And I think we're moving more, more in that direction. And this is, this is part of what I, what I feel in terms of astrology being much more popular now than it has been in my entire lifetime in occult sciences, kind of making a resurgence, um, especially with, uh, you know, younger generations, millennials, Gen Z. Uh, and I, th- I think we are moving more into those systems of thought and being open to seeing things that we might not have been able to see before. That makes a lot of sense to me. So, um, so you bridge the two schools of thought uh, between the people who see astrology in purely archetypal power terms and those who uh, really believe that the position of the planets actually affects who we are and the cycles. So that's so. But to take that point a little further. Um, how would the positions of the planets actually affect us? In other words, is that the electromagnetic field vibrational argument? Yeah, there, there's. I, I once heard a lecture with a uh, at a conference with a physicist, mm-hmm. and who is an, who is also an astrologer, and she talked about how the ancient um, the ancient I can't remember if it was the Babylonians or the Sumerians, but she talked about how this ancient culture could predict the movement of the heavenly bodies of the planets, the sun and the moon with absolute precision by connecting the, the movements of those heavenly bodies with the rhythms of the songs that they sang. And so this is what she was speaking to was the idea of harmonics, the principles that underlie a lot mathematical theories and music and, um, and, and what I know working with astrology is that when we look at, you know, the study of planets and the study of astrology is actually study of relationships. It, we're talking about how one planet relates to another, whether they're in harmony or discord and what the effect of that aspect relationship is on with life on earth. And we can look at that in terms of crop, how crops are grown, in terms of what health challenges come up. Um, in terms of global events and some of some of what we're seeing right now with the bigger societal shifts have to do with some of those relationships. So there's a sacred mathematics to um, that I think underlies the connecting points of so many so many aspects of, of life on Earth. And astrology is one of those is one of those systems. We referenced uh, someone. Uh, whose name I'm blocking on, I hope you can help me, uh, who you know as work and so do I, who's on the faculty at the California Institute of Integral Studies. And is a group of Yeah. And, and he, and in his extraordinary book on uh, astrology, uh, he, he makes a powerful case that birth dates actually can be demonstrated to affect what careers people go into and so forth. Absolutely. So, yeah. So the, I mean, your, your birth date is if we think about the universe as this living, breathing life force, um, your birth date 
is a representation of a moment in the, the, the memory of the cosmos and the memory of the universe. And every single moment is so unique because cycles don't repeat themselves for thousands of years. And so when I look at a birth chart, I see not only the historical context that someone's born into and the culture and the family of origin, but I can also see the effect of all of those systems on your relationships, on your work, and on your physical body, um, on your family, on the choices that you feel led to make. And while I understand that astrology is one part of a bigger picture, we have, you know, our, we have our family of origin, we have, you know, the birth order, we have a lot of different, different aspects that make us who we are. But, but astrology is, um, is part poetry and part math in terms of, um, in terms of giving us uh, a roadmap to follow for our lives. Uh, and it is like, Every moment captures a certain energy or a certain essence. So you can assign a birth chart. You can assign a birth date to a business, for example, or to um, an inauguration or a marriage or any big event in your life. And I actually do work with people to to elect a chart or choose a chart for some of these things. Because you, because in doing so, if you're, if you're, if that birth date or that event is capturing the energy of what's happening in the world, then, then realizing that you have some, I mean, this is where fate and free will come in, um, realizing that there are certain things that are destined, but there are certain things that we can, that we can affect with our choices or with our attitudes or with our responses. Um, and astrology is one tool that helps us to, um, to, to do that. Yeah, well, I think in that sense, I mean, you as, you know, powerful, intuitive, as a medium who, uh, with the spiritualist church and in other ways, is connected with souls that have gone beyond, who has seen Mother Mary and seen angels, um, you clearly, depending on somebody's belief system listening to us, Either your imaginal world is very rich, <laughs> or you are in touch with other realms. And uh, I prefer to believe both, that your imaginal world is rich and that you are also in touch with other realms. But the point is that when you do a reading for me or for somebody else, as you've said, the you're using the astrological uh, constellation as a portal for your intuitive self to come through. And to me, that's the difference. So I mentioned to you offline that sometimes I go to Astrodienst, you know, and I actually have ordered, uh, you know, charts from them in the past. And what I find with the, the potted charts, I'll call it that way, you know, the sort of computer-generated charts, is that some parts of them are really resonant and other parts aren't resonant at all. And so it seems to me that what the potted charts are missing is the use of the chart as a portal for an intuitively powerful person to single out the parts that they believe really apply. Mm -hmm. 
I think you you hit the nail on the head. That's absolutely right. Um, there and and this is why I think that there are also some you know there are complexities within us. There are there are different parts of ourselves that don't always agree or want different things. I like to think of um, the planets as like as a family, like a you know a family unit within ourselves. And so one aspect of the self may be represented by Mercury, which is which is thinking and learning might be in a challenging aspect relationship with the moon, which is the mother or, you know, the family of origin, the the caregivers and that nurturing influence in the life. And, and so these, those complexities represent the ways in which we're pulled in different directions within ourselves. And, um, and, and when you as an astrologer or someone as an astrologer with knowledge about astrology looks at a chart, you can often see, oh, this one is this one's probably more active than other ones. Or, the, you know, Mercury is a little stronger than the moon. I bet your thoughts outweigh your feelings. So, so, so it's, it's, there's an artistry to it, like you're saying. And, and it can be, for, for a lot of astrologers I know, intuition is not a part of it. It is, it, it is, it's actually, I think, um, I think it's, I think in, in some ways, astrology can be for intuitives, a framework within which to work. So that they don't have to admit I'm doing an intuition or I'm, I'm working with my intuition. Oh, I get that. Um, the um, you mentioned the planets as a family constellation and the tensions and you know agreements and so forth, and that made me think of uh, the great uh, uh, spiritual psychological system created by Roberto Assagioli called psychosynthesis in which uh, he sees the human personality as having a center, the observing self, and then a whole set of subpersonalities that rotate around that center. And the work of psychological work, which are like the planets, as you describe them, the psychological work, there's a little mnemonic that they use in, in psychosynthesis, that you want to name them, claim them, tame them, and aim them. You want to name your subpersonalities, make a list of all your different subpersonalities. Claim them, meaning you accept that all these parts, which you may not be comfortable with, but you accept their parts of them. And that's uh, claiming them. Taming them, you begin to try to work to get them moving in the same direction, which they're not at all doing originally, and then aim them. You take their collective energy uh, if you can get them to work more together and move them in a direction. And this will come back around later in our conversation because there are circumstances under which our subpersonalities under conditions of trauma uh, can express as multiple personalities. And in that case, the center has not held. And these different fragments are, you know, not in a cohesive relationship with each other. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think, I mean, I think anytime you're working with a spiritual system or, uh, you know, any any spiritual system like tarot, like astrology, like like any kind of healing modality, I think there there exists within that an opportunity to uh, to bring those parts into balance and into relationship. 
Um, and, and that's one thing I love about, about the system by identifying, oh, here's the part that, that needs to be, that is probably experiencing the most suffering or a representative of where you've experienced suffering in your life, then you, you can work with it. Um, and so I never look at astrology as a fixed system. It's a system that's growing and evolving as we grow and evolve. Um, and, um, and, uh, and I think that it can really help it can be such a tool for healing. And, um, and, and, you know, when we were talking, one of the, after the last conversation, we were talking and I, I mentioned, you know, you asked me about the trauma that I mentioned in the last, in the last conversation. And, and so I think, you know, in reflecting on that after we spoke, um, you know, I, I think that for me, healing my trauma has been such a focal point in my life because I really, I mean, I feel like when we go through anything in our lives, we have the choice of, of taking it, taking that experience, growing from it, evolving beyond it. And then, and then, you know, trauma and suffering awakens compassion in, within us. And when compassion's awakened, it's really hard not to ask, what can I do to help others? What can I do with the suffering and loss and pain I've experienced um, and, and find a way to alleviate the suffering and loss and pain that exists in the world? And, um, and, and so, you know, astrology was one access point for that developing intuition, my spiritual, my spiritual gifts and resources are one access point for that healing, um, and finding community for both of those things has really allowed me to find ways to, um, to, uh, to, to make more of a contribution and to allow my pain and my, my experience of trauma to turn into something beautiful and rich and um, and a, and a, and a, a deep a deep deep awareness of compassion that um, that compels so much of what I do in 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 every area of my life. You're listening to a TNS conversation with Rachel Lang and host Michael Lerner. And so let's go into that trauma because it's one of the things we wanted to talk about. And and first of all, for our viewers, um, it's sort of a, a viewer discretion advised here because we're going to be talking about difficult things. I want to say that having co-led, um, what is it now, uh, 240 or something like that week-long retreats for cancer patients most of the people who come are women, and uh, a immense number of them have experienced abuse as, as children. And so it's a field that I've spent a lot of time with. Um, but you were kind enough in our subsequent conversations to say, you know, we didn't really address this. And it's such a deep part of your true spiritual biography that we agreed that we would do that. So uh, why don't you tell us what you're comfortable saying about that? Okay. Um, yes. Yeah, so I, so I experienced, you know, I, I like, like you said, so many, so many went one out of every three women and one out of every six men, um, I think is the last statistic I, I read about this. 
um, has experienced some kind of sexual trauma. And, um, and for me, it happened within the first 10 years of my life um, with someone who was close to our family. My parents did not know. And, um, and when they found out, they were just my number one supporters and uh, protectors and, um, and, and really rushed into uh, to, to, to find resources for me. And I feel really fortunate, um, that I had, that I had help, um, when I did. Uh, and one of the things that, you know, I think one of the, the things that can happen when you experience trauma as a child is that there can be, like you, you mentioned before, a disassociation process where you leave your body. And, and, um, and that is, that is something that happened to me. And every time I that would occur, uh, and I would disconnect from myself, um, you know, the places I would go, and maybe they were imaginal realms like you talked about, but they were deeply. I was deeply comforted by the presence of Mother Mary, and at times it was very visual, like where I felt like I was in her arms. Or I would have a sense of an angel who was with me, holding me through whatever painful experiences I was going through in my body. And so while I know that trauma gets stored in our bodies and trauma is a bodily experience for me, um, and I've done a lot of a lot of somatic work and a lot of, of therapeutic processes to heal the, the trauma in the body. But what I, I think the gift that came in it for me was access, that access point to being able to, to connect with spirit and connect with other realms fluidly to where I could, I could incorporate a lot of that into my everyday life. And, and so one of my, one of my, um, you know, one of the, the, I think, so I've always had this awareness of these other realms and of spiritual presences. And I've always, that's always been a real place of comfort for me. Uh, and, uh, and so it's going into this work in a really conscious way has allowed me to, um, uh, to, uh, to access those same places, but from a place of choice, which mm. I think is, that's, 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 that's empowering. This started when you were very young, mm-hmm. yeah, and it continued for ten years, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, in addition to being able to access Mother Mary and angels and dissociate from the body and and go to these places, how did you manage to hold it? In in other words, you you were living a successful life. You were, as we referenced, you. You know, you were living in an evangelical Catholic family in a very close community. When people discovered you had these gifts, you were up on stage in front of large numbers of people in this Catholic community. You were praised and supported in these experiences. So there was clearly a level at which what came out of immense pain was also quickly becoming a great gift. Right. Right. Achieving in school, achieving in your spiritual community, uh, holding success. And then there was this part of you that was held in this 
secret place by uh, the person who was abusing you, uh, and you had to you had to survive it. Mm-hmm. So how did you how did you hold it? How did you survive it? So I think when you know because I was a child, because this had been a pattern that I had known all my life, um, that had been going on all my life, I never had it before and an after. So there was never a sense of, uh, other than what I felt in my own body, there was never a sense of this is bad mm-hmm. because um, it was someone who was a trusted friend in the family. It was a, you know, it was someone who, who had a level of trust and anyone who knows about abuse knows that there's a grooming process. Mm-hmm. So there's a real, I mean, I think a lot of my life was really, there was a lot of confusion about and and actually um you know, I think it led to uh, led to um, a system of, of 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 mistrusting my body and mistrusting my instincts. Uh, and so, and so, I don't know if if I was able to really. I think instead of holding it, I think I compartmentalized it, um, and 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 didn't look at it or didn't hold it or, you know, distance myself from the reality of this happening until it came out into the open. And then, then the floodgates opened and I relived a lot of the, um, uh, uh, you know, I was able to get in touch with anger that I had been, that had been suppressed. I was able to, um, to really work through a lot of the, a lot of the physical trauma and a lot of the emotional trauma um, and, uh, and it was the healing process that, that, um, made me so passionate. Like it fired up inside of me a heart for social justice and a heart for protecting children and protecting, um, protecting people I love for it. It fired up inside of me, um, this heart for service that I have. And, um, and so I think that, when I look at my spiritual biography, that that fire still burns. And so I think a lot of what I do in my life, and I'm talking about in not just in my work, but in my volunteer work or in the ways in which I give back, that, that fire is coming from a place of understanding pain and understanding loss and knowing that that the gift that can come from that is, is, is offering myself or offering my gifts in any way to help, to help prevent pain from happening to someone else or to, to, to help, help change the systems that allow abuse of any kind to occur. And when I talk about abuse, I mean, I think we're talking about these systemic problems and, um, the problems of, of, of power and power structures that have existed that have led to one group of people dominating another pe- group of people. And, you know, we going back to um, Catholicism, you know, one of the, the, the beautiful things about Catholic social justice teaching or um, liberation theology is, is that there's a view that, that actually structural sin and structural wrongdoing is the prime sin. And everything that we do in our lives, following temptation, anything that we do um, uh, to to harm one another or or help one another 
it all needs to fall under that umbrella of like, we are just pieces of a big systemic, of a big system of, of, of beliefs, of thoughts, of culture, of family, all of those things. And so healing on an individual level has an effect and it will ripple up to healing on a systemic level. And so for me, my personal healing has been deeply personal, but it's been also with that awareness that anything I do for my own process of, of enlightenment or my own process of healing is affecting the whole. And this is exactly what we talked about privately, which is the power of Catholic social doctrine, which you, I mean, you studied theology in depth. You have a master's in theology, right? That's correct. So you studied Catholic social doctrine in depth. So in a very real way, this is another one of the gifts of your life. I mean, having been brought up in this profoundly evangelical Catholic family and community, uh, and then having had the, the profound experience of abuse, and then when it came out, reliving and experiencing it and, and just going through all the transformations, which led you, as we talked about in the first time, to find the esoteric bookstore, to find astrology, to fall in love with astrology, and then to read widely in the Bailey work and all kinds of other areas, and uh, then to find your way to the spirit, spiritualist church and uh, soon become one of the people who were up on the uh, stage uh, conveying messages from the departed. So there's a way in which you've really taken all this pain and found the gift within it. Uh, both in uh, your work as a healer, uh, uh, your personal life, um, and your commitment to justice. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So in a very real way, you lost a big piece of your childhood in one way. Mm -hmm. But you also had another loss that in some ways one might say in some ways, might be seen as recapitulating. Mm -hmm. Tell us about that. Yeah. Um, in no, in uh, November of 2020, uh, a, uh, a, uh, and I didn't talk about this in our first conversation because the grief is real. The grief is, it's, it's this, you know, it's, um, it's such a deep well of grief that sometimes even just skimming the surface can bring up a lot of emotion. Um, so I uh, I can't talk about my experience without talking about my book. Um, I wanted to be a mother more than anything. I it's it's what I wanted for ten years, and I you know because of what I explained about living my life sort of in half measures and on a fine line of, you know, can I be a lesbian and be accepted by the people I love? Like, because of, of some of that tension, I think I resisted relationships and I, I you know, it, 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 I got to an age where, where it was, you know, my window was closing for motherhood and I had felt this spirit, this 
this baby wanting to come through. And, you know, we looked at all different options when we were trying to decide what to do. And ultimately we decided let's, let's try, let's try to, to, to conceive. And it was a four year process, um, very painful process, lots of loss in the middle of that. And, um, and, and from that, my, I, that's what inspired my book. Um, and so, uh, I, I became pregnant the day, the day before everything closed down for COVID and, um, and I didn't know it yet. Um, and, uh, and, and finding out I was pregnant with Stella was a miracle. It was a miracle. Uh, because it was the impossible pregnancy. And every I did everything perfectly because I wanted this child so badly. So I read all the books. I got I got EMF protectors for my belly. Um, you know, I, I did all the things. And and I had had a perfect pregnancy, very no complications, everything went well until the very end. Um and uh and, and my daughter was born without a heartbeat and there was nothing we could do. Um, so, uh, so it was a shock, um, you know, after 39 weeks of hearing that everything was okay, feeling and sensing something's off, but not having any evidence to back that up. Um, it was a shock and it was uh, it was of all the traumas I've experienced. It was, it was the worst. It was by far the worst. Um, and, uh, and what I think the, what, what came on the heels of that, well, when I told my parents I was pregnant with Stella, they were so excited and it, she brought our family together. All of the concerns that I would, I'd had of, you know, what are they going to think of this? all, all of all, everything, all the fear and all the, the, the tension between us, everything dissolved because of this new life and this hope and this joy that was coming into our family. And so my mom said when I was pregnant, nothing will stop me. I'm going to be there. And so she flew in um, the night I went to the hospital and, um, and she was there when we got the news and obviously this was COVID times, she couldn't be with us. Um, and then my dad came, he flew in, in the midst of, in the midst of COVID and they were here and my sister and my brother came two of two of the, of the others. And we all gathered as a family and we grieved together. And, uh, you know, we went through lot, all the different stages of grief. And, um, and, and then a, a few months later, uh, when I was planning my memorial service uh, for Stella, I invited, I asked my parents to be a part of it. And so we had, you know, my dad playing guitar. Uh, my mom wrote a, wrote a song. They both led prayers. And we had this really, this, this moment of deep healing for the entire family that I don't think would have happened if I hadn't if forgiveness hadn't been such a major theme in our relationship up to that point, you know, me forgiving them for the times when I felt rejected or alienated, them forgiving me for not being the person I think they wanted me to be um, and for challenging systems and challenging beliefs. 
And forgiveness is such um forgiveness is such a uh, an equalizer because if you don't have the weight of resentment and you don't have the weight of um, of, uh, of, 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 of fear distancing you in that relationship, then there's space for, for curiosity and connection and, and coming together. Um, and I think, I think being pregnant with Stella and becoming a mother, um, I think that, I think that opened up for me, it opened my eyes in terms of how I saw my own mother and my own relationship with my mother and, and then how I saw her relationship with her mother. So there was generational trauma that was healed in that experience. And, you know, I, I miss her every day. It's not a day goes by that I don't miss that baby um, and miss the, the light that I felt when I was pregnant with her. Um, but I, you know, I, I I see her everywhere. I see her. There's an owl that that hoots outside the night, at night, um, and when I when I go walk the dog, I hear this owl, and I I see I hear Stella in that owl song, because I used to hear it when I was pregnant and up at night, and I see Stella in the stars, and I see her in the ocean. I think that's the beautiful thing about spirit, is that is that it it is alive in everything. And um, and I'm I'm really grateful that I get to experience her in that way, even as I grieve not being able to hold her, and feed her and love her. Mm. Let's just take a moment of silence together, Rachel. Peace, peace. How are you? Mm. Um, it, it feels really, um, it feels like every time I talk about her, I feel like I bring her to life. And so there's just, uh, you know, it just lights up my heart. Mm. Are there any other thoughts or reflections? I'd, I'd like to ask you again, uh, as we close, but along with any other thoughts or reflections, to just remind people about your book and uh, what it is and how they can find it. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Um, my book is Modern Day Magic, and it's eight simple eight simple rules to realize your power and shape your life. And there's a lot of my um, there's a, you know when I when I was having a difficult time getting pregnant with Stella, I. I did a deep dive into magic, which I had always been working with, but I did a deep dive into magic. So my book is Modern Day Magic, Eight Simple Rules to Realize Your Power and Shape Your Life. And the whole inspiration of the book came from, from the going through a fertility journey where I was facing roadblocks and obstacles. And I realized that I was approaching it all with my head and that actually this was a process that needed magic. And so um, throughout, so I, it took me several years to, to write it because I was working intently with magic during that time. And, um, and so I, I outline principles of magic, trusting yourself, um, using mass, magic as a resource of power. Um, I talked a little bit about the history of magic um, because that is one of the topics I, study, I studied in, in graduate school. Um, and, and really it's about 
you know, we all have this co-creative energy inside of us. This, 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 you know, it's magic. It lives within the, 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 the deep feeling, the intuitive realm. Um, and so I connected with Eros and that enliven that, that, that enlivening essence and that we all have within us. And so my journey with magic was, um, was a, a bringing myself back into my body and accessing spiritual resource and spiritual power that I think had been disconnected because of an experience of trauma, because of, of, of all of the, 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 the challenges I had with my body, with my body and with being a lesbian in a system that didn't accept me. So, so for me, it was, a you know, it was a way of working with uh, this, this energy and the spiritual power. And, um, and I feel, I felt really called to share it with others. So the, um, so writing the book was beautiful because I was in the very last stages of writing the book. I was in the last few months of my pregnancy. And so all of that energy is in there. And I like to think, I like to hope that when someone reads the book, that they feel it and that they feel alive with possibility um, and that they feel, they feel that spark of life within them growing, the heart expansion that happens when that happens. And, and that opens us up to seeing things for our lives that we never imagined possible. Rachel Lang, thank you for the friendship we have developed. Uh, thank you for trusting me with doing this intimate spiritual biography. Um, thank you for being with us at the new school. Thank you for your new book. Um, and I just look forward to many years, God willing, of, of friendship and of service to life. Me too. Thank you so much, Michael. Thank you too. You've been listening to a TNS Conversation with Rachel Lang and host Michael Lerner. Thank you for listening to TNS, the new school at Commonweal. The new school at Commonweal is directed by Michael Lerner. Our program coordinator is Kara Epstein. Our audio producer is Ken Adams. And our theme music is by Jeremy Cohen. Visit us online at tns.commonweal.org. That's tns.commonweal.org. Commonweal is spelled C-O-M-M-O-N-W-E-A-L. You can also find us on SoundCloud, iTunes, Facebook, YouTube, Vimeo, and Amazon Music. Thanks for listening.